When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Tuesday, January 18th. 2022 and Brendan as I have started most of these episodes we are still in a lockout will we ever end Corey will we ever get out of this lockout who knows I think eventually we will I don't know maybe they'll just cancel the sport you know we are sort of starting to see as we kind of talked about last week I think we're starting to see some of those like maybe a month of games gets missed type tweets going around from some people in the industry right so like it's getting more pessimistic by the day well they supposedly talked last week and got absolutely nowhere so at least they made some progress in actually talking whatever that even means Right. So we'll talk a little bit. Uh, the owners did propose something. It was not good and, nope. you know, I think pissed the players off. But it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it probably could have been. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, some of the stuff going on with that, how it might affect the Cubs, etc., as we have over the past few weeks. Take a look at some of the other odds and ends that are going on in the world of baseball in so much as they can go on the Cubs making some international free agent signings uh, so that is definitely something to keep an eye on as the Cubs have had a lot of success in that market in the past but Brendan obviously there is no other place for us to start than uh, you know saying happy trails to one Jonathan Lester who retires Um, he I I always kind of expected that he would retire before he got to the point where he, he was, like, awful. And I know, like, you know, the last couple seasons for him were a, a bit up and down, ended up, like, kind of finding a solid run there. Um, I won't mention the team that he did it for no. in 2021. But I, I wasn't surprised when he came out and, and kind of was like, yeah, I wanted to retire on my terms, you know, before they took the ball from me, right? I I sort of figured that that would be the trajectory of his career. You know, I did think, though, for just a little bit that he may fit into the Cubs' plans for 2022, but, you know, optimistic thinking. I I could see John, though, I don't know how long he wants to take off if he even wants to come back to the sport, but you can see a scenario where he comes down to Mesa for spring instructs, you know, kind of what, what... Kind of what Rick Sutcliffe does and some of those old-timers. Or just give him the bullpen coach job. Give him a clipboard. Give him the binders. I could see him fitting in perfectly in that role. I think he said that he doesn't really want to do that. But, you know, perhaps you need the— Maybe he changes. Yeah, you need the absence away from the game to sort of uh, get that itch to reemerge. But— uh, for me personally, so firstly, I would say like we're not we're not going to do like a whole John Lester episode here. I would direct you to the the farewell tribute episode that we did to, for him when he signed with the Nationals. Uh, you cheered after. up in that episode, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you know that that was a <laughs> oh, full yeah. like retrospective of his Cubs career, what he meant to me and Brendan and the Cubs and everything. And and I think I, I was I was really happy with that. So I don't really want to try to replicate that or, or do it again. And you know, obviously the only thing that wasn't covered in that episode was a year where he was on two different teams, one of which I do, again don't want to talk about. Um 
so we're not going to do that again, but that is in our podcast feed, wherever you're listening to podcasts, um, the John Lester Fowler episode. I think that was in December of, what would that have been, uh, 2020, I, right? I guess. I mean, I lose track yeah. of time now. Yeah. So you, you can find that. I'll probably share the link if you want to hear all of all of that kind of stuff. But what I, what I do want to talk about in terms of his retiring, firstly, from a, you know, he's my favorite player kind of perspective. I'm I'm fine with this. Like I want him to keep pitching as long, whatever he wants, right? But seeing him on different teams, especially another one in the Cubs division and you know their biggest rival, not great. I I don't need any more of that. Um, you know, so I'm good with him calling it a day and yeah. not risking him joining one of the other teams that we hate because there's still plenty out there, right? And and. Yeah, like you said, Brendan, I think he could have pitched another year, but I'm glad that he's kind of taking the approach that he does not want things to get to the point where he's unusable by a team, right? And and I always assumed that that's what he would do. And as a fan of his, I'm, I'm fine with that because I don't need to see him in other uniforms anymore. Well, you saw what happened with, with Arietta and, and myself. That's like, what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was that, that, that was a disaster. Now, that being said, like, if John did decide to come back, like, like let's say it's June or July, and he says, hey, I want to come back. Unlike Arietta, I, I feel as if I would trust John more, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think that's it. Career over. Raise thirty four on the flagpole at some point. Him and Kerry Wood just retire that number. That's it. No one should wear that number ever again, Corey. Yeah. So I, I mean, I I don't think that we really have too much to delve into on that, but I do think that that's a good question. It was raised a lot over the last week. That seems like a no brainer to me, man. No, um, man. People people were uh, argumentative about that. They don't think that's deserved by Lester. And even some people thought that about Kerry Wood, which I kind of get, kind of don't get. Well, that's backwards. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, like- I, I mean, so so this is where we get into kind of a, a bit of a debate, I suppose. And I'll preface this by saying, like, I was born in 1991, right? So I'm a huge Kerry Wood fan. Um, so don't take this as anything other than me just sort of parsing the, the, the data here. But, like, the impact to the Cubs— right on the field it's lester and i don't even know if it's close well well, i'm gonna look it up now but i mean in terms of like his you know maybe like notoriety and value in terms of like generating new fans and excitement then it's it's carrie wood right and he's been involved in the organization for much longer he's still involved in the organization they're both great they're both cubs legends i'm just saying if we're talking like on the field, the value to the Chicago Cubs baseball team, one of them led them to a World Series championship, the other didn't, right? Well, yeah. Well, you're, you're going to have people say, well, you know what? If you look at Lester's war, which I'm going to pull up in a second here, it doesn't add up to be like a Jersey retiring type scenario. But the circumstances... I think they complement each other. Yeah. Well, yeah. the cir- where I was going with this is the circumstances are extreme. You You have to factor in whether you want to accept it or not, like this was an enormous task winning this World Series for this baseball team. Like all the media pressure that came with that, not only the 100 plus years, but then the massive nine figure contract and, and being the ace of that team. And to your point, his playoff performances, not even in just 2016, but 2017 as well, very few pitchers in Cubs history did that. And he was the most reliable left-hander in those circumstances of all time. So when we look back at this era of Cubs baseball, the mid-2010s, like Lester is the defining feature among you know a few other players and, and part of that young core. So who else would you retire a number four? Like, do you have to be a Hall of Famer per se? I don't, I don't think so. I think these are extreme circumstances given, like you said, Corey, he was the bridge that went from a transition-type team rebuilding Wrigley Field from the depths of that rebuild. He was it. The moment we signed him, that was it. That was an era change, and that will last for decades, hopefully. Yeah, and I mean, again, I, I like, Kerry Wood 
if not for the injuries, you know, he, he was a member of the organization for such a long time. His 1998 campaign is, you know, obviously uh, something of, of legend with the, the performance against the Astros and stuff, but he had bigger seasons than that. And so again, like, I'm not like, I love them both. I What I'm saying is, though, that this is something we're going to have to think about historically as as the Cubs go on as a franchise. Like, how do you weigh that championship, yeah. right? That's that's really the point I'm making when I say that Lester's value on the field feels bigger than Kerry Woods. Like, Kerry Wood was a pitcher for the Cubs longer. Like, the 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 numbers may bear out that way, but as you said, like it's a monumental task winning that World Series. And mm-hmm. John was a huge part of of getting that done. And I, I think that just when your franchise goes 108 years without winning one, that's got to carry a, a much more significant weight than I think anything else, right? But that's why I think this is a no-brainer for me, because you combine the two of them, right? And it makes all the sense in the world. Like, I don't think you're going to get that type of meaning and value from people wearing that number in the future. I I think that they're the perfect combination. If you put them into one person, right, you you get the longevity of Kerry Wood to the organization. You get uh, the accolades he put together. You get the accolades John put together in a shorter time, but then you add in that historic playoff run and World Series run in 2016. I, I just think it's the perfect way to honor the both of them. And I, I it just I'm hard pressed to think of a more deserving case when you're considering two guys wearing the same number. With Greg Maddox, Maddox, of course, is retired. He had 36.3 war. You look at John Lester, substantially less by Fangraph's war, he had 17. By baseball reference, almost like 20-ish. So it's not similar to like all of famer like Greg Maddox. But again, factor in Kerry Wood, his war was about 22. So if you add 22, you add in Lester's war, then you're talking about one of the most prolific numbers in Cubs history by two players who were defining features of that era. I think for, for you and I with Kerry Wood, we grew up you know, late 90s, early 2000s, it was Kerry Wood. For this next era of Cubs fans, it's going to be John Lester. And yeah, maybe the, the, the bulk numbers don't add up, but extreme circumstances, let's do it. Also, just looking at this leaderboard, uh, it's pretty funny. Carlos Zambrano is fifth in pitching war for the Cubs since like 1945. Corey. I mean, he almost has the same amount of career war with the Cubs as as Greg Maddox. He has 31 compared to Greg Maddox's 36. That's insane. Maybe we should be talking about Big Z retiring number 38, Corey, um, as well. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. You you, you just you got to do it, man. You and to cement Lester within this like Cubs lore, like I want it. I want Lester to be part of this Cubs community for the rest of his life. When I think there's almost like a there, there's almost part of me too that. I, I think if I guess at this point it's it's been a while if if they've decided like that Kerry Woods legacy wasn't enough to join that group then I I'm I would be happy that John pushed him over the edge right because I think Kerry does deserve it I you know what the standard I mean I know what the standard is based on the guys that have been had their numbers retired but like to us, to people that are our age and that were, you know, had their fandom formed by those 90s teams, we know they're not going to do Sammy, right? Like that's, yeah. they don't even invite him to the ballpark. So that 21 isn't going to happen. But I think Kerry would be that next guy that really meant so much to a, a huge era of Cubs baseball. And if his, you know, because of the injuries and however you want to parse that all out, wasn't enough to enter that territory. Okay, fine. Add in John Lester's legacy, and 34 just should be left alone, I think. Yeah. In the, the postseason moments, Kerry Wood, 2003, game mm-hmm. tying home run. The, the pitching alone was justifiable. Lester, 2016. He had a big hit in that Atlanta series, too. 
Yeah, man. He, he could swing. Uh, Lester that, 20- we don't talk enough about that series. Sorry to cut you off, but we don't talk enough about that series where they beat the Braves. That was my Electric. Favorite. Joe Borowski yeah. blowing it by. Um, oh. I think it's Andrew Jones it to end Andrew that Jones. series. Electric. Yep, yep. absolutely electric. Uh, probably my favorite. I mean, it was my first playoff series, but probably my favorite non-2016 series of all time. Um, well, we had other bad years anyway, so it doesn't really count. Yeah. But for, for Lester, 2016, 35 innings in the postseason. Think about that. 35 innings. Five starts. Came out of the bullpen in Game 7. His ERA that postseason, 2.02. 2017, 14 innings. Two starts came out of the bullpen again in 2017. ERA, 1.8. Had that one start against the Rockies in 2018 in the wild card game. Went six innings, gave up one run. So he, whatever he was called upon, he performed. And for that type of pressure, and for us, you know, you're used to those pitchers and those moments kind of getting lost. You think of, like we just talked about this, Ted Lilly in Arizona throwing his glove, Rich Harden. Um, you know, Big Z had some little shaky moments there as well. You don't remember any with Lester. I cannot tell you one instance in the postseason where he's pitching. It's like, ugh, like, I don't know about this. This is, this is not good. He never right. got slammed around. So you have to factor that in as well. Yeah. So getting back to just let, you know, moral of the story, like Kerry Wood, awesome. Love him. John Lester, awesome. Love him. Just retire 34. I think that's the way it should be. But getting back to Lester specifically, um, I think the interesting thing to watch going forward here is his Hall of Fame case, which I think is is going to depend on, you know, how these guys vote and all that other stuff. And I think the useful caveat here is that that process is a total mess. Um, you know, it's controlled by the Baseball Writers, which mm-hmm. is an organization that's led by Paul Sullivan. So I'll let you guys make your own opinion on the merit of that type of system, given the person who's in charge. Um, my parents taught me if I don't have anything nice to say, not to say anything at all. So well, you we'll leave it at that. Um but even, you know, on a broader perspective, it's just such a mess, right? Like guys don't know that there's not, there's not a lot of set criteria and the stuff with the, the steroid guys is basically whatever anybody decides, right? Like Bud Seeley is in there, but Barry Bonds is not. So whatever you think of Barry Bonds, that's a, a screwy process. I think we can at least agree on that. Um, so when it comes down to pitchers like this, it's hard to peg and, you know, John finishes his career with 200 wins exactly. And for a while, it kind of felt like you you needed to be more toward 300 to get in there. That was kind of the threshold, but that's disappearing in, in, in the modern game. Um, so I think he's going to be an interesting case because I think when you look at some of the, just the, the numbers in, in a raw sense, he, he's probably one of those borderline guys. I think baseball reference has like a calculator for this and they had him as like just short. I think their number you have to hit is a hundred and he's at a 98 based on their kind of scale. And it, it gets confusing, right? You look at someone like Andy Pettit, who had his own, you know, sort of like performance-enhancing drugs situation, but 56 more wins, a very similar kind of like postseason uh, legend-type guy, many-time World Series winner, has those accolades, but isn't in there. Is it because of the performance-enhancing drug stuff? I, I don't know. But when you look at John... I, I obviously I hope he gets in there. He's my favorite player, but I I hope what does put him over is is what you're talking about, Brendan, and that's that postseason legacy. And it's just not something that too many people have. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in so many years in the postseason, a two point five one ERA in the playoffs uh, in his career. He went to three World Series. He won three World Series. Um, I, like his role in 2016, I think he finished in the top 10 of Cy Young voting four times. I, I think like narrative wise, right? Also a cancer survivor. You, you combine all of that to me, he feels like someone that would be deserving, but obviously I'm kind of biased in this regard, but that's going to be interesting to watch because I think he's kind of on that line where you can see it, but you 
based on a lot of the voting and, and what the threshold seems to be, you could also see him kind of falling just short. Maybe one of those guys that yeah. hangs around the ballot for several years and maybe gets in if there's a sort of concerted push and maybe not. Well, you know, that's five years from now. So a lot of those guys you're talking about will, will still be on the ballot that were in that PED era. At least for most guys in the past, their career wars for pitchers around 60-ish. So John, by Fangraph standards, is 48. So he would be short in terms of what you typically see. Now, the postseason accolades, the Zach Factor name, the Red Sox stuff, the cancer survivorship, as you mentioned, I think I think that does have extra value, and it is good for the sport to recognize that as, as well. Uh, it will be close, though. I think my, my instinct tells me he'll miss it, yeah, just because I think he, me too. Yeah, just because he doesn't have that type of resume as other guys, but there are other factors that he does have that other guys in the hole don't have. So I, I could see it going that way as well. Yeah, and uh, you know, one last number. Uh, John pitched in thirty-five and two-thirds innings in his career in the World Series with the Cubs and with the Red Sox. 1.77 ERA. Yeah, man. That's got to count for something, right? How you weigh that in terms of Hall of Fame voting, I don't know. Now, he wasn't on the curse-breaking Red Sox team in 2004, but he is on, does win two titles there in um, 2007 and 2013, then wins it with the Cubs. Like, that's three World Series titles with teams that you know, really prior to that didn't win World Series titles and he was dominant in those innings in the World Series. Like that's that should count for something, in my opinion. But again, yeah. I'm horribly biased in this. If I had a ballot, John would be in there <laughs> like right away. So I'm not I'm not quite sure what my opinion is worth on this. But let's get to where we are in the baseball world. And where we are in the baseball world is that a few days ago, so on the 14th, the owners did make an offer uh, for the CBA. It was the first offer in months, uh, as we discussed, for some reason. Um, And it didn't really get us uh, much of anywhere. But it is sort of progress, I guess. Um, you know, the, the the sticking points are still the sticking points, the luxury tax, um, arbitration years, when guys hit free agency, stuff like that. And, you know, it still seems that the owners are not really uh, willing to make those concessions just yet. The word from the Players Association, I believe, was disappointing. Uh, that was the quote, you know, from the offer. But I, I mean, I guess, Brendan, that's worse, or excuse me, that's better than how it could have been. I, I think we knew it wasn't going to be the offer that pushed us over the goal line here. So disappointing was kind of expected. And I think from this point, you know, we just have to hope that the Players Association can get together and fire back quickly. Because as we noted last week, you know, now we are over that point of a month you know, we're, I think, under a month now from when pitchers and catchers would normally be reporting. Again, that's normally around like Valentine's Day, the 15th, 16th um, type area in February. So it's the 18th today of January. So we're, we're you know, kind of getting to that point. Um, but that's where we are. And as I said, you're kind of starting to see some of the folks in the industry wondering aloud like when we're getting to that point of you know maybe now games are going to be on the table in in the regular season but this is where we are normally in a normal season we would have three or four episodes before we talk about pitchers and catchers reporting at at this stage of the offseason you don't you don't have any of that so even though they met it seemed from my perspective it was more of a have you changed your opinion? No. Okay. You have not changed your opinion. See you in a few weeks. Like that's the vibe I got from it. So I, I mean, I'm not optimistic about it. Like my, my fear is that we're going to miss spring training. Like I haven't even thought about missing actual major league season games yet. Like spring training for me would be, would be devastating. Just losing out on that, that type of optimistic feel that you always get once the end of February hits. I mean, that that sucks. So 
all you can hope for is that there is a few owners that that push forward and from the player's perspective i don't understand how all that works with tony clark i know ian happ represents the cubs and whatnot but i, I have i have no idea how that works my my gut tells me some owners are going to have to push forward. And honestly, Corey, from the player's perspective, maybe they are playing their cards right. Maybe the owners don't want to lose money because they've lost money in the last two seasons. And they're kind of playing that leverage. Well, you know what? We're going to get what I want because you lost money the last two seasons. So this is just kind of how it has to go. That's kind of what I'm banking on. But I don't know. There's the, the level of optimism, there's no reason to have any level of optimism at this point yeah so that you know that's really kind of in the same place we're just sort of waiting for them to get to a negotiating point where there's actual progress um this was pretty much an offer we knew was not going to be met with any sort of significant movement and that's really what happened so that there's not really too much news there um, I will say, though, that as we've talked about some of the rule stuff, it did come out in these reports that um, the the DH being in both leagues um, and some of those other uh, rule things uh, are, you know, on the table. So I think there was a report that we talked about earlier in the offseason from Jason Stark that that wouldn't be on the table, but I, I don't know if that was just incorrect on his part or things have changed as they've gotten to negotiating, but it does sound like that stuff is on the table. So it, it, it seems like the expectation is back to, um, you know, that the DH will be in both leagues, at least eventually. I'm not sure how quickly they would institute yeah. that, but I would assume it would be right away. I mean, that changes everything, right? Like I was operating yeah. under the assumption for the last was it six weeks or there would there would be no rules changes and it i i don't know the other team situations right now but i feel as if for the cubs they have to be in the top tier of teams that that rule would affect you think of nico you think of their free agent possibilities in the outfield you look at kyle schwarber maybe nick castellanos um and you think of brennan davis coming up soon hopefully maybe even early in the season and the ramifications that DH would have on his playing time and on Nick Madrigal's playing time, whose hamstring we're assuming will be 100% healthy, but you don't know because he's not seeing Cubs positions at, at this point. So for the Cubs perspective, that DH in my mind, it's not imperative per se, but it does have a high degree of immediate importance that I imagine affects the Cubs more than most teams. Yeah, and we talked about Wilson Contreras and the addition of Jan yeah, Gomes yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and that move kind of making a lot more sense if the DH is there. Um, you know, but the but back they... to back to Jason Stark's point though, and I mean, thinking about Wilson Contreras' perspective, who's he's going to be a free agent this off season? You can you can find scenarios where the players do use that as leverage. And Stark did mention that seems to be off the table because they can't get everything at one time. So even though we're hearing reports that hey, this might not be happening, the rules change, or the or rather the the rules change might happen. I don't know. I still I still find Stark's report logical and, and and plausible, and I can see the players pushing hard right now to get that DH in play because of players like Contreras, who is approaching his 30s has a lot of innings under his legs and does want to make his money and a dh would definitely elongate his career yeah the the logic from stark when it came out as you mentioned was it made sense it just the way it's being talked about now when you look at all these reports is not that way so i just thought it was worth bringing up obviously yeah. look the the current state of things as the league ended last year was that the national league did not use the designated hitter so until that changes that's not the case but the talk amongst all of these talking heads and writers and things like that seems to be back in thinking that that's going to be in play so i just thought it was worth mentioning and yeah there's obviously a lot of cubs kind of ramifications and and that goes too to the way we've talked about how interesting the offseason is going to be once it actually resumes um, because that that really does change 
what Jed Hoyer might be thinking, right? Like if you have a DH, if you don't have a DH, you have to make a decision as to whether Frank Schwindel is your everyday first baseman or not. If you do have a DH, that's a different decision entirely, right? So, and you know, you already mentioned some of the other guys that this affects. So, you know, what, what that does to Jed's plans and again, how active the the free agent market is and what guys are looking for, given that it might be a pretty quick turnaround from free agency to spring training or the actual season, going to be pretty fascinating. And as we discussed last week, Brendan, you know, there's scenarios where I think it could hurt the Cubs, but you hope that the, the kind of landscape shapes out in a way that actually benefits the Cubs in the particular kind of spending that they're looking to do. I think the short time window for these players to sign could actually benefit, or it's more likely it would benefit the Cubs. You may have a few guys who don't have the negotiation timeline to get the deal they want. So what does that mean? Well, they may take a shorter deal and they may be in a position to take that shorter deal if the annual average value is higher in those maybe two to three year windows. So I look at someone like Schwarber or even Castellanos with options, perhaps you can see them taking in Schwarber's case, like a three year deal, maybe like 50 ish, 60, 70, maybe million dollars. I'm not sure. And then for Castellanos, kind of similar boat. You can see him taking maybe a three or four year deal, maybe an option for a fifth year deal that if there were not a lockout, maybe they would get longer deals like four years five years or whatever but once this lockout does end you're going to have a frenzy it's just not like probabilistic that you're going to have all these players all their agencies talking to just 30 teams and getting the deal they exactly want so if there's a constellation in my mind the constellation is okay well shorter deal we want our money and the cubs seem to be perfectly positioned to be offering those types of contracts yeah, that's certainly the hope. Um, so thinking about, you know, I, just because we were on the, the subject of the DH and thinking about players that may be affected by that, um, you know, we did get some more interesting quotes from Jed Hoyer on Nico Horner. And I, I think we kind of knew that he would be a particularly fascinating player um, but the, the quotes from Jed continue to, I, I, they, to me, they read that there's going to be somebody else playing shortstop. Is that the sense that you get, Brendan? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. the way Jed talks about it, but it doesn't, I, we, we, we discussed this a few months ago that the Giants, the San Francisco Giants might be the protocol for what the Cubs use with their current roster in the next few years. And the Giants, they basically had their entire roster besides, I think, Crawford and one of their players, like, play all over the diamond. I mean, you saw what they did with Chris Bryant when he was acquired. So in Nico's case, what Jed is saying and, and what we might see with the DH, I don't think it changes Nico's playing time as a sum. I think it's possible... That his playing time might be, you know, twenty five percent at in in center field, you know, fifty plus percent at shortstop, you know, ten to fifty percent at second base and a little bit at third base. I could see that happening, and I think Nico has not given us a full sample of his defense in other positions. We assume that his arm may not carry over to shortstop, but that's an assumption. We don't have reliable data over the last three to four years, showing that his arm is not up to to the speed at shortstop. For all we know, his arm strength could have increased over the last three years. Similarly, in center field, you know, Nico is one of the faster guys on the team. We don't know the type of natural instincts he has in center. There have been some instances where he's played a few games in the outfield during exhibition games and whatnot that he looks pretty good. So we don't know. There's a huge degree of uncertainty when you're projecting this. That could be bad. It could be good. But when you hear Jed, you know, the president of baseball ops talk about Nico still playing quite a bit and being open to the idea, I I don't think that's a bad thing. Of course, you want stability, but stability in the form of flexibility is even better in my opinion. 
Yeah, and, and that's pretty much some of the stuff that, that Jed was talking about. He said, quote, he's a really impactful player. He knows he may move around next year. He knows he may not. I think I would just say that he embraces that. He knows his versatility is really valuable. He knows that the modern game really does embrace what he does well. And Nico, uh, you know, said at one point that he... I really believe in my ability to play shortstop. I'm going to prepare to play there at an everyday level if that's the opportunity, and if it's somewhere else, then I'll do that. So, I, look, I, I think Nico gets it, um, and to me, I guess I just read the lack of conviction from Jed Hoyer as, like, somebody else is probably going to be playing shortstop every day. I don't know. I mean, um, like, conviction maybe in what not. way, though? I, I, I don't... I don't know. The, I just... It, it would be... <laughs> I guess. I, it just would be easy to say, like, yeah, Nico's our shortstop. We're not looking at acquiring a shortstop. Yeah, I mean, I... And if you're I, not if you're not convicted in that, right, you, you should be. Yeah, I mean, he did say, though, like, he may move around next year, or yeah, true. he knows playing, he playing may not. Play with us. Yeah. yeah, so I... Listen, you sign Carlos Correa, you're going to have to move him around, right? right. So... Um, and even if you don't sign Correa, I don't know if they're really serious in designing someone like Trevor Story, but same type of scenario. I think given we, – we've gone through these situations in the past seven years with Jorge Soler and Javi Baez, other infielders, other outfielders, you know, Schwarber situation, all that. There was – there's an argument to be had that that type of constant shuffling and you know playing every other day and matchups and whatnot – that that was not good for their development, right? So the way I think about this for Nico is if we do sign like another middle infielder and we just got magical, my concern is he's not going to get the playing time he needs to to fail fast and adapt fast. So if that means going out and playing left field or center or right or third or second or short, whatever it is, I, I want that. So when I, re- when I hear Jed say this, I am actually getting the impression that he's being convicted that Nico is a guy, right? Like I, in the past, when listening to Almora or other guys, you, you never got this type of conviction. Like even with Jorge Soler, there was never certainty that he was going to be a staple feature in this lineup, even though he had success when he came up in 2014. Like there was never that type of um I guess, front office backing to the media to the degree that we just saw with Jed saying that about Nico. Yeah, I, th- I think that's all fair. I th- to me, I think the most intriguing thing is, again, obviously the, the versatility, but specifically, like, we, we saw what he can do at second base and how good he is as a defensive second baseman. If you're adding someone, obviously, of Correa's level or Story's level or even one of the other uh, shortstops that we've talked about that would be more for a defensive focus, you're looking at one of the better middle infields in the league. And we've talked about the heavy ground ball nature of this pitching staff, at least until they make other additions or if they make other additions. And that that's the easiest way to do it, I think, with the fewest pieces, right? And it yeah. would allow you to DH Nick Madrigal at least some of the time. You know, Nico can play third, like you said. Maybe they try him in the outfield, whatever. Um, but as Madrigal's coming back from a pretty significant injury, all signs point that he's going to be in great shape and everything's going to be a full go. But it's, you know, again, just like other guys, it's not the worst option to be able to say, okay, we're going to have him DH today and we're going to put out a guy who's a plus defender at second base to go along with whoever this, if it happens, this mystery great defensive shortstop. Because again, then you're looking at one of the better middle infields in baseball and a middle infield that is more than ready to scoop up all those ground balls that Marcus Stroman and Wade Miley and Kyle Hendricks are going to be providing for them. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if Correa does get signed by the Cubs, or or even Trevor Story, who's, I think by last year's standards, maybe a top 80th percentile defender, Nico, his out above average at second base, has been 90th percentile for the past few years now. So you combined Correa or Story with Nico at second base, you have one of, if not the best middle infield in the league. Now, if Correa does sign, it's subjective. It's objective. You have the best middle infield in the league if you decide to put Nico at second base. And from Jed's perspective and our perspective, that's the type of answer that you want. 
Jed say, right? Kind of wishy-washy. Don't dig yourself a grave. Don't have any type of uh, type of media quotes that could come that could come back and and be asked to the players come spring training. Like that's what I want, and that's what we haven't really seen over the years from some of these pressers that I have not liked. And to be fair, Jed has been saying some weird things when he traded Rizzo and Javi and Chris Bryant during that time. So these these are the answers I want from the media. Give me some wishy-washy answers from my perspective. I like it. I know from other fans' perspective, maybe you want that conviction, that type of transparency. I don't want transparency. Don't tell me what you're doing. Just get the media away. Just do it. This talk by your actions. I don't want Jesse Rogers, anyone, to have any insight what's going on. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think that is fair. Um, so wanted to at least just transition for a little bit to some of the international free agent stuff. Um, again, it's a, a place that the Cubs have had a lot of success over the years. Uh, first, by starting, I, I saw on. Uh, Twitter not too long ago, a photo of Brendan Davis and Christian Hernandez. Oh boy, Brendan. Uh, What a photo that was. Just the two of them just like standing together, but you're just thinking like that is uh, potentially a lot of the future of the Chicago Cubs. Yes. I mean, that could be a future uh, next year with Brendan coming up, but even Christian Hernandez, he could be one of those fast bats going through the system. Yeah. Hernandez is definitely a a good bit further away uh, than Brendan is, who's knocking on the door of Wrigley Field at this point. But still seeing them together, you know, you get those vibes of when we used to get those photos of like Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and Jorge Soler and like all all those guys in the minors at the same time and and just sort of dreaming on them coming up and um yeah it had those vibes but i i, I bring up christian hernandez uh in particular because the cubs signed his brother alexis who is also a shortstop and was number 18 on mlb pipelines top 50 international prospects the cubs also signing number 43 adon sanchez and shortstop Jefferson Rojas. Those were the big signings from the Cubs group. And, you know, look, these guys are very young, um, and it'll take time to sort of see what their impact might be and their value. Uh, but always, you know, kind of like to keep an eye on this. Um, again, it's it's an area that the Cubs have found a lot of really valuable players in, and it's an area that they, you know, focus a, a good bit of their money to. So uh, I think always just interesting to keep an eye on these guys. And I, I you know, the, the Hernandez family seems very talented. So uh, never a bad idea to to keep it in the family there. Yeah, maybe in uh, seven, eight years, you could be seeing the best defensive middle infield in the form of two brothers, Corey. Uh, I was watching video of Alexis. He looks like a miniature uh, older brother version of uh, the same player. So it's it's pretty funny. He, he like Christian, is very lanky, very athletic. Um, you can see he has room to grow in that body. So I, it's, I mean, listen, at this age, you never know what you're going to get. But clearly, the Cubs are using those family ties. And clearly, from Jed's perspective, you have to be happy that so far, that type of development infrastructure is treating Christian so well that he wants his brother to come on board. Yeah. You want that type of family dynamic. And we've heard, like, not heard, but we've assumed maybe that the way the Cubs have treated some of their core guys in the past that might look bad to other players outside the organization. But so far, we haven't seen any of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, that that is a good point. I, I didn't uh, even really think of that. Um, you know, you never know all of what somebody's thinking, but yeah, I mean, it, it would sort of suggest that the Cubs are, are treating uh, Christian well and that he likes the trajectory of things and the coaching and everything. Um, or he might have told his brother to stay away, right? So, um, the, the those are those are not the only the the only three names uh, that the Cubs did sign. Um, again, they they put a lot of focus into this. Also, wanted to note that the Cubs uh, are the they have their first the first player from Aruba to sign with the Cubs as an international free agent, and that is center fielder Daniel Benscop. It could be Benshop. I'm not positive. B e n s c h o p. I'm I'm always messed up now with that kind of spelling because of Jonathan Scope. Um, I thought the, it was Scoop. 
or right i don't know <laughs> that's that's what i'm saying i'm all messed up because yeah. of trying to pronounce his name playing fantasy baseball for the last several years so um thought that was cool you know um and you know again just uh, an indication like there's a lot of baseball talent around the world and it's it's certainly become a thing to have your scouts pretty much everywhere to try and identify them so um again, you know, welcome, of course, to the Cubs organization, to all of the guys that they signed and, you know, look forward to tracking that progress. I, I was able to, uh, not all of these guys are, are from the Dominican Republic, but as, as part of the baseball work that I did a long time ago, um, you know, was able to spend a summer there with the Texas Rangers. And it's, it's a really, you know, uh, it's a special place, I think, to watch watch baseball. A lot of a lot of really really talented players, um, and it means a lot to them, you know, to to sign these contracts and to be able to, you know, make this money for their families and and try to pursue their dreams. So it's yeah. it's always an exciting day to watch the international free agency stuff. And uh, again, you know, given the the track record that the Cubs have there, hopefully a big day, you know, when we look back at it for the organization as a whole. Well, that's why baseball is unique for for basketball and for football. You don't get that type of um, connection with players when they get signed at that young age and you go through the system and you adapt and you grow. You don't see that in other sports. And for my experience, having lived in Arizona, like I saw Javi when he was a teenager. You saw Chris Bryant when he just got drafted, like at the lowest stages of the game. And that doesn't happen in other sports. So you look at even Brennan Davis in that picture with Hernandez, look how different Brennan Davis looks since he was drafted, what was it three, four years ago? So it's it's fun to see and it kind of any opportunity I get to say, hey, you need to go to the Arizona Fall League or Instructs or even spring training to see these guys play. Like I want to take advantage of that to really emphasize if as, as fans, go do that because you will not regret it to be able to say, yeah, I saw Javi Baez when he was 18, 19 playing intra-squad games with Jorge Soler and Jorge Soler's first uh, year in the States as a professional baseball player. That That's a cool thing to say, Corey. So just to bring things full circle on this podcast, we're going to finish with John Lester. I said we weren't going to spend the whole hour talking about him, but I'm not done with him just yet. Um, I did want to read this uh, one story that came from NBC Sports Chicago with Travis Wood about uh, Game 7 of the 2016 World Series, which you guys may remember the Cubs did win. Um, John Lester did pitch in that game as well. Um, and it, this was a, a fun story that I, I don't think I had heard before, um, but John Lester uh, told NBC Chicago this, and he said, quote, when I got down to the bullpen uh, to Travis Wood, I was like, hey man, listen, you have the reins. You have to control what's going on here because otherwise I'm just going to throw until they put me in the game. Lester began warming up the inning before he came in the game, but got too hot too fast, uh, which is exactly what he said. The Cubs sat him back down. By the time the bottom of the fifth inning began to unfold, the Cubs, up 5-1 to one at the time, got John up again. John said, quote, when they got me back up, it was like sheer panic, like hands on deck, let's go, it's rapid fire. I think I got about 25, 30 throws in in about 45 seconds, and Travis Wood is screaming at me to stop throwing. I just look at him like I'm going to rip his neck off. He literally comes and stands in front of me, like stood in front of me to where I couldn't throw anymore. Um, So first of all, I love every bit of that, uh, mostly because... When you see, like, I remember at that game, like, seeing Arietta and Lester and, like, those guys who aren't normally in the bullpen in the bullpen, right? Because it is an all-hands-on-deck situation. This is the kind of stuff that you assume, like, happens, right? That you've got guys who are not relievers that don't know how to prepare in this specific way, and especially, like, the personality, the gamer-type mentality of guys like Lester— that it's just a weird scene. And this is exactly kind of the stuff that I imagine that you need uh, somebody out there like Travis Wood to be like, no, 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 hold on. Like, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Um, And then just the image of Travis Wood physically (laughs) blocking John Lester from throwing and knowing that this is in the middle of a win or go home World Series game is just an, an amazing thought. There's got to be video of that somewhere, right? Like all that bullpen video. I'm imagining Lester, you know that one gif in Los Angeles where he's like staring down the umpire? I think it's yeah. the umpire. Like I'm imagining he's doing that to Travis Wood. Um, 
But man, Travis Woods value. You think about what he did that postseason, hitting home runs, coming in, multi-inning relievers, basically being the bullpen coach in Game 7. Maybe you should hang up Travis Woods' number as well, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, I, I love that story so much, especially <laughs> like John knowing that he needed to be controlled because he's just going to start throwing like nervously, just getting ready to come in the game. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Um, yeah, hats off to uh, Travis Wood. There, it, it has a little bit of like Javi Baez, Pedro Strope kind of flavor, right? Like we've heard all yeah. those stories where Strope would hype up Javi to go hit a home run. Like he, you know, he talked to him in the dugout before he hit the homer off of Cueto in in Game One of the NLDS and told him like, "You need to win this game right now. It's on your shoulders. Like you need to do it because no one else is going to do it." And then he did. This kind of has that that vibe. Uh, different, (laughs) different personalities having these conversations, but it, it makes sense to me that Travis would, would be the one to, to get through to, to John Lester. You know, they were on the, the parade bus together, downing Miller lights or Coors lights, whatever it was on that particular occasion. Um, it makes sense that Travis would have, would have been the one like, no, I'll, I'll stand in front of him. Like I got it, you know? Yeah, because of that experience, that's why I think John Lester is ready to be a bullpen coach, right? Now he now he gets it, Corey. He knows what he needs to do for other pitchers that were in similar situations. So in my opinion, let's give Lester the bullpen coach job. Maybe not next next year, but the year after once he's ready. Right, and I I don't I I think you tweeted this maybe, and my maybe. reply is what my reply is now. Um, how long until he just comes out of the bullpen and <laughs> David Ross is standing on the mound like, what are you doing, man? Like, I'll do it. I'll get out of the inning. Like I got uh, it. Uh, within the first month, no John, doubt. John, you're you're not an active player. It doesn't doesn't work that way. Just it's give just, me the ball. It's David. just the third yeah. inning. He's sprinting in from the <laughs> yeah. or jogging from the. I outfield. got it, David. I like got just it, go yeah. sit down. Okay. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think that is what we have for you. So you know some some stuff going on. Um, you know the as we talked about the international free agency stuff is at least the Cubs signing players and making additions to their system and. Um, some stuff you can take a look at if that's uh, the type of stuff that you're interested in. And, you know, maybe sort of progress towards an actual baseball season. I'm not really quite sure, but perhaps we're getting there. So uh, as always, in the middle of a lockout, we appreciate you guys tuning in to the Cubs Related Podcast and for your support. And as the days go by, you know, just hopefully we are getting closer to baseball. And and once things do open up, we should have plenty to talk about um, in terms of, of getting this team ready for spring training, if that's a thing, uh, even if it's shortened, and ultimately the regular season at this point, whenever that starts. So again, thank you guys for continuing to listen. In the middle of a lockout, we will be back with you next week. Uh, John Lester forever, retire number 34 for him and Kerry Wood. And that is all that we have for you. So as always, go Cubs.